All right, here we are, season six, episode seven. You know, bad news, only three episodes. I can't believe uh, the time's passed. Uh, but we're talking about the broken man. And this episode opens, it reminded me when we first met the potato kid, because it has this very happy opening. It starts with an anvil and a barn, ra- barn raising or something, it feels like. Uh, nails are getting pounded. Everybody's so chipper and friendly. There's like lovely guitar music. And then we see the, the man we used to love to dislike, uh, the character we, you know, love to, Ian McShane, a wonderful actor from Deadwood. And he seems to be at his best. He's like a good guy in this one. He's playing around. He's handing out tools. He's giving everybody, he's like, hey, buddy, buddy, you know, give, punching people like the old kid punches in the side. And I said, at first I didn't, I said, what are they building a watchtower? It's a very green valley. And everything looks well. And I said, man, okay, this is, you know, this isn't good, obviously. Uh, like the last time we saw that was a potato kid. He said, mother, what is that, potatoes? Well, potatoes or whatever. And that didn't work out for anybody. But then we see people carrying a log. Then we see one man carrying a log. I still didn't know what was coming. I said, who's this uh, man carrying a log? And then he drops a log. We see he's very large. And then he turns, and it's Sandor, Clegane, the hound. And you see he's breathing heavy. And it's a cold open. I think it's the first one of the season. I don't even know if that's what a cold open is, but... uh that's what I said. I said, Holy, I said, he, that's Sandor. And I did not see this coming. Holy cow, was I surprised. And someone had even, you know, like they had guaranteed me like two seasons ago. And I said, no way, man, it's not going to happen. I love the hound, but it's not going to happen. Oh, spoiler alert, the hound's back. Uh, well, dude, not yet. I mean, the hound's back on the show. Uh, to his breath, that's what the last thing I wrote, and then scribble, scribble, open, because uh, he's breathing at the end. I put open, I called it a warm cold open, hound log, I put, because uh, we see the next scene is the hound uh, hacking away at this log. And Ian McShane says, geez, would uh, you never seen anybody crack a thing like that? And we have this honest hound all of a sudden. Because uh, he says, uh, what, what happened to you? Who took you out? How many people was it? It must have been, and he goes, one person. Must have been a huge monster. And he goes, it was a woman. And Ian McShane gets a big laugh out of that. I didn't even realize till the second watching the irony. You know, it's like, oh, maybe it was. You know, that's like, you know, it could have been, he, he could have thought the hound was joking, but he's not, he's being totally honest. Uh, then we have the hound eating alone. Annie and McShane comes over to make friends with him. We, we have a couple more scenes of uh, perfect life on this uh, commune with Ian McShane. Fresh water, buffet. Uh, children, best Westeros half, just like a, a little bit of... Uh, a little bit like Bissos, near Utopia. But he goes over, he's talking to the hound. He says, hey, you know, people are afraid of you, I guess. 
And then we get a little backstory. He says, Jesus, you know, I found you. You were in such a rough shape. Uh, I was worried about you. Uh, but then, you know, you, you kept on fighting. You know, you kept getting getting healthier. He goes, I always wondered what, what kept you going. Oh, so he, he also touches a hound. The hound doesn't like that. Hound's like me. Don't Please don't touch me. But he says, you know, what kept you going? And the hound says, hate. And the hound's eating the whole time, which makes it interesting. And uh, Ian McShane says, well, there's a reason you're here. He goes, yeah, I'm big and I'm tough, you know, I'm tough to take out. And he goes, no, reason. He goes, the guys aren't done with you that yet. And Hound's like, yeah, I heard about that, but with God's before, but it was a different God. And Ian McShane kind of drops some polytheism. He goes, yeah, I don't know much about the gods, which Hound's like, you're in the wrong line of work. And he goes, yeah, there's plenty of people that think they know everything. He goes, I don't really know the gods. He goes, I don't know if it's seven gods or one god, Lord of Light. He goes, it's all, maybe it's all the same thing. I don't know. And this kind of speaks to some, you know, it's something maybe some people struggle with. Well, but there's something more powerful than us. And then he drops in, and whatever it is, they had planned for Sandor Clegane. And so he's like, I'm on to you, you know. This guy's also, I wrote, he's also the anti-sparrow. And then the hound actually has a question, which is interesting. He has this inquiry. He goes, well, if the gods are real, how come they haven't punished me? Andy McShane says, they have, you know, don't you, don't you believe that? So I thought that was nice. And then we have a moment with the hound just contemplating, uh, not eating, thinking, a long moment, actually, a few seconds. Uh, then we have Marjorie, she's reading from the seven-pointed star and thinking, or is she posing, like is she voguing, kind of. Her back's the door, Sparrow comes through the door, goes, oh, what are you reading? She goes, the book of the mother, your holiness, chapter three, verse 12. And he starts, oh, water rounds the stone, smoothing. And Marjorie picks up, memorized, smoothing what was jagged. So does a woman's love calm a man's brute nature. A white wife sells her husband's wounds. A mother sings her son sung to sleep. Uh, so interesting subtext maybe there. He says, oh, you learn quickly. And then they talk about religion and the sparrow said, he goes, yeah, there's some people that know everything, but they don't actually practice what they read. And there's some people who can't read who understand the father's wisdom. And Margie's like, well, I used to pretend I loved the poor, but I didn't. You know, I, they grossed me out. And the sparrow's good here. It's just like the, the mass of gray, you know, that it's not all or all good or all bad. He goes, you know, yeah, they're hard to love, uh, but, you know, because they are us without all our stuff. You know, without perfume. And he says, can I ask you a personal question? I thought this was a little strange, the wording. And even Marjorie's like, what? And he goes, well, Tom and ratted out to me that you're not uh, making love in the marriage bed. And she goes, no. And then we get the, I said, time for a little patriarchy here. He goes, well, you have a duty, your grace, to your husband, to your king, your country, to the gods. And she goes, well, I'm not feeling any desire. And he says, Congress, this is very, uh, he says, Congress does not require desire on the woman's part, only patience. And I said, well, geez, it doesn't take, take patience with me, believe me. But, uh, uh, 
and I, I mean, no offense, Tom, and I'm just guessing, but, uh, but anyways, that's very patriotic. Oh, doesn't, we don't care. He's basically saying, uh, but there's a strategic level. He goes, we need the Kings to have an heir so we can keep up our work. And she goes, I'm sorry. Like sometimes the true path is hard to find. And this is when, then you go back on the street because it says, uh, Harder to find and still harder to walk upon, but you've made great progress. And then the sparrow goes the other way because he says, uh, well, I just hope your grandmother follows your lead. And she goes, my grandmother, he goes, well, yeah, she's a sinner. You know, we got to help her out. Uh, I'm worried about her, you know, veiled threats. Uh, he says, you got to teach her, you know, in a new way. Also, it was like, again, who plays whom? At the beginning, I like how Marjorie's hands are interlocked. Uh, her eyes really match her dress. I thought that was beautiful. Uh, it was a little, you know, it was a little, uh, con- you know, I was thinking about congressing, you know, with her eyes. And uh, But then we have uh, Grandmother and Septa and Marjorie. Marjorie has this gray pendant on. I guess that's really observing her closely. And, you know, there's like this little power struggle between the three of them. And Marjorie's like, Grandma, why don't you just leave if you're not going to. And Grandma's, you know, after Septa, you know, And worried her granddaughter's been brainwashed. Uh, but she's like, go back to Highgarden. And then she's like, what about Loris? And Marjorie seems to have written off Loris, at least in this scene. And she's like, he has to, you know, take heed of his sins. And I say, really? And Marjorie drops some, like, faux page. She goes, your place is at home, Grandma. And she goes, I'll never leave you, never. And she says, you must. And then she passes her note, and she says, go home. Find comfort in prayer and good works. The mother watches over us all. And then I didn't know Septa and Ella, you know, I'm worried that the uh, Septa saw it because I don't trust nuns. And she says, I'll see you soon, grandmother. And she says, let's pray, Septa and Ella. And then she goes outside and looks. Uh, actually, like, uh, for a while, Marjorie was fighting off tears and really composing herself. I thought that was great acting, too. And then, then I was expecting the note to be something I would understand, but it was just a rose. But her grandmother got it. I said, is that a code or just uh, something obvious? I mean, I know they're queen of thorns. Uh, then we have, we're talking war with the free folk, with the giant and Tormund. And John needs them. And Tormund's very eloquent here. Dim Dabble or something's the other guy. Uh, Tormund, so he says, hey, we need, he goes, this guy, you know, gave everything up for us. If it wasn't for him, we'd be toast. And they're like, well, there's not many of us left. We don't want to be running around working for the, the humans. And then Jan says, well, we're all in this together. That's what everybody's got to understand. You got to help because there's no other choice. He goes, otherwise there won't be any of us with the Night King. And the giant's like, I'm in. And then Tormund, you know, says, I'm into, and then everybody's like, okay, let's do it. And then at the end, when Tormund's walking away, John says, you know, are you guys really going to back me up? He goes, oh, we're not clever like you Southerners. When we say something, we'll do it. And then there's a big sigh by Jon Snow at the end.
then we have Cersei and the Queen of Roses or Queen of Thorns. This season, for some reason, I cannot remember her name for the life of me. And Cersei rolls up with uh, the mountain and very confident, but still, I guess, a little bit tentative. And she says, yeah, I heard you're leaving King, King, King's Landing. And your grandmother says, I don't, you know, it's none of your business. And she goes, well, you're going to just leave your grandson? And she goes, well, he's in there because of you. Quit, quit acting. This is a really good scene, really fun, if you're depending on your feelings about Cersei. And she goes, this is all your fault, Cersei. The High Sparrow's in charge because of your machinations. And both our houses are, because of you and your stupidity, are on the edge. And Cersei tries to play, you know, play with her. She says, oh, yeah, you're right. I made a terrible mistake. I carry it with me every day. And she says, good. And Cersei's like, yeah, I brought all these fanatics in. And, you know, we're in this together, though. We need each other. And then there's a moment, and she says, uh, I, the, the Queen of Thorns says, I wonder if you're the worst person I've ever met, which was just, just so bite, so wonderful. True, too, maybe. Uh, she says, at a certain age, it's hard to recall, but the truly vile do stand out through the years. And she goes, do you remember the way you smirked at me when my grandson and granddaughter got taken away? I do. I'll never forget it. And then Cersei just still says, uh, thinks, she's like, you love your granddaughter. I love my son. It's the only truth I know. We much must defend them. And she says, no, I'm leaving town before this shoeless zealot gets me. Uh, and you better get out of here, too, if you're so smart. And she, Cersei says, I'm never leaving my son. And she says, what do you do? You have no support, no one. Your brother's gone. Rest of your family doesn't like you. People don't like you. You're surrounded by enemies, thousands of them. What are you going to do? Take them all off? You've lost. It's the only joy I can find in all this misery. Oh, I also, uh, I don't know how many people watch, uh, I don't know how many people watch Silicon Valley. One, you got to check out my friend Ann, who's been on Silicon Valley. Uh, playing a reporter, awesome job, or blogger, I guess. A reporter, I'd say. But Cersei, especially in this scene, reminds me a lot of T.J. Miller's character. Uh, if you watch both shows, rewatch this scene. And she's rocking a little T.J. Miller action, uh, which I thought was really fun. And then you say, wow, those two are a lot alike. Uh, at least in this, I mean, usually Cersei's more effective. Uh, with her planning, but at least at this moment, I guess because she's down, and that's his normal status. Uh, uh, he he's more likable, I'd say. I'd rather, but uh, then we have I can't read joy. Oh, the only joy. Then we have the Lan- line of Lannister soldiers, and at the head is Bronn and Jamie. Of course, Jamie's too handsome to wear a helmet. Uh, he says, are you kidding me? Look at this. Uh, this is a face that launched a hundred whatever. Uh, but it's like a long line of soldiers. It was good to have Bron back, but I don't know. This wasn't exactly, uh, you know, him at his best, especially now he's kind of burdened with Jamie instead of adventuring with him. 
Yeah, but he says, geez, this is the worst. You know, now I'm a knight. I'm stuck with you. You never followed through on anything. I'm not getting paid. And Jamie's like, well, Lannister out. And he goes, don't say it. I'm set, fed up. Uh, then you go, we go down, and this is a little like uh, Monty Python ask these two fray boys that are total buffoons. Uh, let's see. Knights don't get paid. Yeah, Jamie rolls up to the frays of Python. That's what I put. And they have Lord Edmere, and they're like, Blackfish, come out, or we're going to take out your nephew or whatever. Uh, Blackfish is all cool, kind of channeling a little Sean Connery, I think. Anyway, Edmure's shoeless, and Jamie rolls up on the ugly. Those guys are real ugly, too. And Jamie tries to assert his authority and his good-lookingness. There's a slow pull close-up on Jamie. And he says to the you know, he says, go get the black, set up, send me a meeting with the blackfish, you know. And he says, okay. Then we have Bear Island and Lady Mormont. So then we go from Monty Python to this scene felt a little bit um, Wes Anderson-like in a good way. Because uh, we have this young queen, or uh, I guess the queen of Bear Island, or the the whatever the authority leader bear island i guess you'd say uh lady mormon who last you know gee she's related to jorah you see you better don't you know and it's like it looks like a star wars set almost it's like this castle above these waterfalls very lovely uh waterfall castle welcome to bear island she says and they're all trying to compliment her on how pretty she is. And she's like, none of my relatives are pretty. And they're like, oh, you're a great warrior. She goes, oh, yeah, they, they, yeah Rob took care of all the good warriors in our family. And they're like, oh, yeah, we, we work for your uncle and all that. And she goes, uh, great, anyway. And they're like, well, I heard you love Starks. She goes, yeah, real Starks. Uh, She goes, you're a Snow and she's a Bolton. Or are you a Lannister? I've heard uh, conflicting reports. And she goes, you, they go, we're here for an allegiance. She goes, you're here for my men. And they say, well, we got to stop Ramsey. And they have Rick and his prisoner. And they go, what you need to understand is, and she goes, I, I understand. I'm in charge of Bear Island. And I got to keep the people of Bear Island safe. And I love that Bear Island. That sounds like a nice place. So then, you know, we, we get to learn, you know, the best place to learn interpersonal relations. Actually, this episode, we get a double truth. But uh, for the time being, it's time for some Onion Night truth-telling and, you know, Harvard negotiation projects. Because, uh, you know, because, hey, excuse me, my lady, I'm Davos of House Seaworth. And she goes, don't ask your maester, you know, it's new. She goes, all right, Davos is Seaworth. Because he goes, I think I understand how you feel. And he goes, well, you never thought you'd be in this position. You're in charge of all these lives. He goes, I never thought. He goes, I'm a crabber's son. He uses that old crabber's son, smuggler. And he goes, this isn't somebody else's war. It's our war. You know, a lot on the line here. He goes, your uncle trusted Jon Snow. Uh, he goes, and Jon Snow's made some sacrifices. And he goes, this is the big war, you know, the Night King. 
He goes, this is it. This is the trouble. We need to stand together. And right when he seals the deal, she she's watching. And the maester leaves and leans in to tell Lady Mormon something. And she raises her hand. It was the best. It was awesome. Rewatch it. Uh, she's like, that reminded me of Wes Anderson. Something about her young authority. And just to kind of, I don't know, I liked it a lot. And then, uh, what did I say? One last joke. Uh, what does that mean? Complaint by onions. Uh, well, they say, they, uh, she's like, yeah, we got like 60 guys we could give you. And they're like, 60,000? Like, no, no, 60 guys. And he, yeah, that's the last joke about the onion. He goes, well, if they're as half as ferocious as their lady, the Boltons are doomed. Then we have the Kingfish and uh, Kingslayer and the Blackfish uh, meeting. And there was an extra few minutes Jamie spent. I wonder if it was foreshadowing, looking at the drawbridge in the water. Uh, he rode his white horse up there, and then he looked down, and the Blackfish slows show, slows that shows, strolls out. And, he, you know, he really cuts Jamie down. He says, hey, did you, uh, I thought you had a vow to take care of Sansa and Arya. This is what Blackfish says to Jamie. He goes, where are they, you know? And Jamie's like, oh, I don't have them. He goes, oh, so we let you go to t- help them. Uh, you want to come back into captivity? And he goes, well, I'm here for the castle, you know, for the phrase. He goes, you're trespassing. And the blackfish goes, you know, he goes, I, he goes, uh, I'm not leaving. And Jamie's like, well, I'm going to have to, you know, take the castle then. And he goes, come on, let's just work this out. He goes, on my honor, I'll work it out. He goes, bargaining with oath breakers is like building on quicksand. And he goes, well, there's no more war. You know, why are you going to fight? He goes, the blackfish says, as long as I'm standing, the war is not over. This is my home. He goes, go for it, bro. You got two years, Kingslayer, because that's how long it's going to take you. And then Jamie tries to, you know, get turned Blackfish's men against him by yelling. And he says, well, why'd you meet with me? He goes, to size you up, and I'm disappointed. Uh, uh, Then we have uh, Lord Glover, who's just, uh, he's like, no way. And it's starting to look like John and Sansa's cause is strained. A lot of Rob's mistakes are still haunting them. Stansa tries to use a stark name, but this Glover guy is like, no. Like, he won't help. Then we see uh, black sails at the Bridge of Volantis, I think, and they had gold squids on them. And Rictheon, we see Rictheon is a broken man, not just Hound, uh, but Rictheon. I don't know what that says. Theon posting. I don't know what that means. Theon's posting. Uh, but Theon's is stressed out, you know, they're at this thing, it's all crazy, they're on the run. And his sister's like, you know, I'll never hurt you, little brother. But she's still insulting him, and she's making him drink. And she goes, you know, I, had, I, I know you had some bad years, Sam, but you got to get tough. He goes, bad years? Are you kidding me? Because you, you, you have no idea what I've been through. And then she says to him, if you're so broken, then just quit, you know. 
I say, okay, like, uh, okay, there's a broken man. Or Theon. Even his sister, kind of with him, but kind of not. And she's just, you know, yelling at him. But uh, also a little, ba- you know, a little, uh, what do you call that? Not backstory, the other one. Because they're like, all right, let's go deal with the dragon queen. We'll steal that idea from Uncle Jerkface. Uh, then we're at Stannis's old camp uh, with the Onion Knight and uh, uh, John and Sansa. And Onion Knight's like, this is a pretty good natural fortification. But they're like, we got to get moving. All right, so, and we're back at Sanus's camp, uh, which Onion Knight's like, oh, this is a great natural fortification. Uh, but they're like, yeah, they, we got to get out of here with the snow and stuff. But we notice Sansa's not like a big Davos fan. And it's because Davos is like, yeah, we'll still work this out, John. You know, we got a couple, you know, 33,000 people almost. If we're careful, we'll have a chance. And then the, you can see the soldiers not getting along. You wonder if this spot is just bad luck. Especially since Ramsey came there and messed everything up, you say. But uh, she says, geez, uh, you, you like this guy? He just got 62 men from a 10-year-old. He goes, well, he's loyal to Stannis. She goes, Stannis, uh, John. She says, so it's Sansa's turn to be truth-telling. She goes, Stannis lost the Blackwater, took his own brother out. Uh, he didn't make it. Uh, she goes, we need more men. And he goes, there's not time. She goes, I think we could find some more men. I get, you know, I have a secret plan going. And then Davos is trying to break everybody up. Uh, and then John goes over there. And then Sansa takes a look at, uh, these crows. And she says, hmm. Oh, I forgot. This was the so Sansa looks at the ravens, and then she writes the second note of the episode because I forgot to mention that uh, uh, Lady of Thorns, the Queen of Thorns, was writing a note when Cersei came in the room. I forgot to mention that. So it's our second scroll of the episode, second scroll writing. Neither of which I could read, but uh, and I didn't look in the internet. I think people were trying to figure it out, but I put to whom. Both of them, I wonder, you know, because when we saw Tywin uh, writing it, that was big time, you know. Uh, he was really up to it. When, he's, when Tywin Lannister writes a scroll, things happen. Uh, then we're back at the, like a community circle with the Hound and the Prophet. And uh, the Hounds are, like, watching at a distance. Uh, and the... Uh, the prophet's kind of talking about his past and how he wasn't a good man in the past. He was a coward and a jerk and a thief and how he was acting against even the animals act in the best interests of their species and, you know, their own lives. But he's like, he didn't. And I really like this. This is powerful and especially powerful as it played out because the hound started uh, kind of uh, relating with what he was saying and some of the, the pain of the past. And then he says, you know, he usually gives this empowering message. He says, well, it's just there's all, all you can do with it. He goes, I can't do anything to change the past now. He goes, all I can do is use the best time, I make the best use of the time. I have to put some goodness in the world. He says, that's all any of us can do, right, hound? 
it's never too late to change, to start helping people. It's never too late to come back. And then we see these uh, three horses come. And this part, this one took me a few watches to figure out. Uh, I missed some stuff, I think, uh, the first time. Uh, the shame's so heavy, all they can do. Bring a little goodness. Uh, to chalk house, win- oh, horse whinnies, uh, horse whinnies. And he said, oh, because he closed uh, the horse when he's in, he says, it's not about the gods answering your prayers. It's not even about the gods, it's about you. And then uh, three protectors of the people roll up and they want some free stuff. But, the, you know, that guy, he's like, we, we have enough people to take care of. We can't give you any free stuff. And they go, okay, but be careful. The night is dark and full of terrors. And the hound doesn't like it. Uh, he goes back to wood cutting. Uh, chopping wood. Uh, but there's some lines like one of the guys says, well, hey, we're here for your protection. And the prophet's like, well, who are you protecting us from? But I guess that the night is dark and full of terror is what gave it away that they serve the fire god. I didn't realize that. Because, uh, uh, oh, because he says seven savior friends. And then the hound, he he goes to talk to the hound when he's chopping wood. The hound says, what are you doing? Seven save you, friends. He goes, I'm a septon. What do you want me to say? He goes, they don't believe in your seven. They will follow the red god. They're from the brotherhood, which is disappointing to me because I really liked the brotherhood up until this episode. I really like that character. That reminds me of if William Hurt and Jeff Daniels had a child. Or is it not? Is it Jeff Daniels? Yeah. Like, uh. The actor that plays the one of the Brotherhood, uh, they got the flaming sword. I forgot his name, but uh, anyway, not important right now. I'm sure we'll, maybe we'll see him soon. Not going to be good. But he says, "Well, we got nothing for him." And he goes, "Well, that you got food, you're hiding steel, and you know there's." He goes, "There's this trouble," and the Septon says, "We can't fight them." And the house says, well, you could. And he goes, well, these people don't know how to fight. He goes, you do. And he goes, I'm old, I'm done fighting. Violence is a disease, and you can't cure a disease by spreading it to more people. And the house says, well, you can't cure it by not making it either. And he says, come on, let's go eat dinner. And the house starts chopping more wood. He goes, it's going to be a cold night. We'll need more firewood. And then McShane says, uh, I'll save you some stew, maybe even a little ale, buddy. Uh, then we have Arya, and she's like, uh, finds this Westeros captain. And she says, hey, I need, uh, he's talking about Theon's fleet, you know, the Iron Fleets in Slaver's Bay. But Arya says, hey, I want to book a passage on a ship. He goes, you can't afford it. And she sends, gives him some coins. He goes, where'd you get these? She goes, Why, what does it matter? And he goes, well, you can for this much, you can get a hammock. And we'll leave in a couple of days. Since so she gives him a bigger bag, she goes, nope, a cabin. We'll leave at dawn. And then she takes the bag back. She goes, see it's sunrise. And then she goes and looks at the uh, Bravos. uh the statue of Bravos, I forgot what it's called, the Watcher of Bravos. 
uh, tighten her bravos. There it is. And then she runs into her nemesis, who has too easy a time. So Arya gets in the water. Stair is covered, Dad. Oh, the stairs are covered in algae. And then she wanders through the marketplace. And then we have the hound chopping wood. And he hears some trouble, but it's too late. And then he goes back to camp. He realizes everybody at camp's gone. And he says, well, I guess I'll turn back into the hound again. So then he says, well, let me get that axe and chop some more wood uh, for the brotherhood, I believe. And that's the end of the episode. And I guess, you know, it's uh, usually this uh, eighth and ninth episodes are the most impactful. So we should be ready for everything coming up here. Uh, this week and next week, I'm excited. I mean, well, only a little bit because I don't want it to end. But I'm also, you know, I'm excited. I just wish I, I just can't deal with the whatever comes after. You know, I can't get to, but I got to deal with it. You know, I got to grow up. Uh, you know, there's only ten episodes. Nothing I can do about it. It's not on my control. Got to be more like uh, Ian McShane, I guess. All right, so tonight we're talking episode 400. We're going to uh, hopefully we'll have time to touch on all this. Blackfish, uh, Br- Brendan Tully. Cold, why Why was this episode a cold open? Uh, Escape to Witch Mountain, Ponte Vecchio, Algae, and then hopefully we'll have time to talk about uh, Deadwood and T.J. Miller. All right, so I thought I'd just double to touch. Double check on the blackfish. I think I probably talked about him a while ago, but I said, well, I already forgot. Uh, I don't even know, like, what the heck is the blackfish. So let's find out some more, right? Uh, Brendan Tully, B-R-Y-N-D-E-N Tully, popularly called the blackfish, according to Wikia, Game of Thrones Wikia, played by Clive Russell, knight and member of House Tully, younger brother of Hooster Tully, and uncle of Caitlin, Lysa, and Edmure. Oh, Edmure's uh, Caitlin's brother, huh? Or maybe cousin, huh? Uh, after the Red Wedding, uh, Blackfish uh, t- retakes uh, River Run from House Frey, uh, becoming the leader and lord of House uh, Tully. A biography, Brendan Tully is the younger brother of Hooster, lord of River Run, Current head of House Tully, respected knight, formidable, formidable battle commander, uh, dig- distinguished himself in the War of the Nine Penny Kings forty years before the War of the Five Kings. Uh, Brendan and Tull- Hooster often argued, oh, because Brendan was never married. I kind of remember this. Uh, when Brendan returned home from the War of the Nine Penny Kings, uh, Hooster had arranged for him to marry Bethany Redwine. Red, red wine. Stay close to uh, the blackfish. Uh, don't let him of wealthy and powerful house red wine. Brendan refused this generous match, however, refusing to be told when and whom to marry. Uh, you hear that, jerks? Uh, people don't like to be told when and whom they can marry. Uh, anyway, Hooster was angry. Uh, that Brendan, you know, told him what he had to do and just forced him into a marriage alliance to improve fortunes. So he ended up being the black goat of the Tully herd, as opposed to black sheep, I guess. Uh, Brendan joked that he had given that Tully signal as a trout. It'd be more fitting to say he's a blackfish. Okay, uh, 
nickname stuck, and he'd been the Blackfish ever since. Brendan accepted it, used it as personal heraldry, like the uh, standard Tully heraldry. He just swaps out a silver trout for a black one. Booster would attempt uh, to contact other arranged marriage alliances for years. Oh, yeah, I think I remember in this season three we talked about arranged marriages. Uh, so that's a little bit about Brendan Tully and the Blackfish. And next up, uh, and this was a brief scene, but it caught, you know, some things catch my attention and I can't let them go. But uh, when Arya is climbing out of the canal, uh, there's a stairways down to the canal. Stairways to canal, that was the rejected Zeppelin song. Uh, but she was uh, like uh, paddling towards it. There was a lot of uh, algae, I noticed, on the stairs of the the canal stairs. They were stone or some sort of stone-like thing. What is that stuff? Mason, you know, something. I don't know what the heck that's called. Masonry or something. The stairs. And it was a green algae. And, and then you, they, you see and you say, man, like it's kind of, it's a little bit like moss, but it's not. So I said, what the heck is it? You know, what the heck is algae anyway? You hear stuff about it. Uh, but, you know, if you're like me, you say, What's it? it's either stuff some people put in smoothies. Did you guys know I, I, I worked at a smoothie place before before Jamba Juice broke big? And, uh, yeah, and, and, I was, and again, I said it, uh, it, it, was, it wasn't too long. Uh, I think I made my way to to in entitle only assistant manager. It was coffee and smoothies. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, not important though. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I went over to LiveScience.com. They've had some good stuff before, and this article is from. Uh, June 4th, 2016. Holy cow, this just came out. What are algae? And I'll link to it in the show notes. I'll try to, you know, according to live science, so holy cow, they must have known I needed this. Uh, algae are a diverse group of aquatic organisms, and they have the ability to conduct, conduct photosynthesis. Uh, certain algae are familiar to people, for instance, seaweed, pond scum, oh boy, or algal blooms and lakes. However, there's a vast and varied world of algae that are not only helpful to us, but crucial to our existence. Uh, so the term algae covers many different organisms capable of producing oxygen through photosynthesis, uh, but they're not necessarily closely related, but certain features unite them uh, distinguishing them from other photosynthetic organisms, land plants. Primarily, algae are not high, highly differentiated in the way plants are. Uh, that is to say, they lack true roots, stems, and leaves, a vascular system uh, to distribute nutrients. Second, and don't take this the wrong way, algae, many algae are unicellular according to a 2014 article in bi- current biology. Uh, they occur in various forms and sizes. They can exist as a single cells, or it can be macroscopic and multicellular, live in colonies, uh, take on a leafy, leafy appearance like seaweeds, uh, such as giant kelp, 
Uh, Picoplankton. Oh, that's so cute. Picoplankton. Come here. Come here. Let me give you a hug. Picoplankton. Uh, which are between 0.2 and 2 micrometers, while Franz a giant kelp can be as large as 60 meters. And lastly, they're in a range of habitats, fresh water and salt water. Uh, by virtue of these characteristics, the general term algae includes uh, prokaryotic organisms, kinobacteria, cyanobacteria, like blue-green algae, eukaryotic, uh, and other algae species. Uh, they don't form a natural group descended from a common ancestor. Uh, they're more in an informal group of algae. Uh, this is like complicated, uh, that stuff. So I guess I, but there's a lot of different, you know, stuff, but let's find some general stuff. Habitat. They mostly live in aquatic habitats. Uh, but as you know, aquatic can be a diverse term, freshwater lakes, saltwater oceans. They can exist in a variety of temperatures or oxygen and carbon dioxide concentrations, even acidity and turbidity. Uh, there's giant kelp 200 meters below the polar ice sheets, according to algae. There's even unicellular green algae species found in hypersaline environments like the Dead Sea. Algae can survive on land and some unexpected places like trunks, fur, and snowbanks, hot springs, soil, even desert crust. But mostly, they live independently, independent algae. Yeah, that's what I like. Uh, various growth forms, but they can form a symbiotic relationship with a variety of non-photosynthetic organisms, uh, mollusks, fungi, lichen, and sponges even. That was, that was, I guess as a failed children's book I worked on, the uh, algae and the sponge. Because they were just, they were just they, there's no, you know, there's no conflict. They lived in uh, perfect harmony. So no publisher, they said, okay, wait, you're the boring guy, and you're pitching us a book. Okay, so what, what happens in the story? They say they live in perfect, it's perfect for perfect lesson for children. Two, two creatures live symbiotically, the, the algae and the sponge, for, you know, forever. And they also benefit the greater environment. And they said, I thought this guy, and they said, I thought you were banned from our office. They said, yeah, you said one more, you're going to give me one more try. The algae and the sponge. I have I have a list of names for both of them too, but you should know up front they don't communicate because they just live in part. You know, like I said, I mean harmony would be a strong word. Symbiosis, I think, might be stronger than harmony. And the book is also just uh, it it, it is five thousand pages. Uh, but mostly there's just the two of them, you know, cause I, I wanted to get different tones of sea color, you know, with different lights in the sea. I, I could do something. Okay. One more. I could do, put, I could put like a fish that's like a where's Waldo fish in there. And then it's hidden, you know, cause I loved Richard scary uh, as a child, uh, those books. Okay, you saw Miss. Okay, that didn't work. Sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there, but I just had a pitch in the middle of the podcast segment. So anyway, nutrition. You know, algae are capable of photosynthesis. They nourish themselves with light and uh, carbon dioxide to generate carbohydrates and oxygen. 
Uh, however, there are algae, algae species that need to need nutrition from outside sources. Uh, so they use heterotrophic strategies to acquire nutrients from organic material. Uh, probably, you know, just like our friends that are living in uh, together. Uh, reproduction. Yeah, let's get to the good stuff already. Holy cow, right? This is a podcast for grown-ups. Uh, algae are capable of reproducing through, wait a second, asexual or vegetative methods. I, I think I got a detention for using, for displaying vegetative reproduction. You know, what, what was that, a zucchini? Anyway, not important. Uh, and via sexual reproduction. According to the authors of algae, asexual production involves the production of a multile spore. Uh, vegetative methods include simple cell division, mitosis, with an identical offspring and a fragmentation, and the fragmentation of a colony. Uh, sexual reproduction, cover your ears because this has got the G word in here. Union of gametes, uh, uh, produced individually in the parent through meiosis. Oh boy, oh, chicka chicka baum baum. Uh, some algae's going down down. So that's just a little bit about algae. Algal it doesn't say, let's try tons more. You've heard of algal blooms, which get a bad rap for creating toxic conditions in oceans and lakes. But it's just the uh, rapid growth of microalgae, which will lead to the production of toxins and the disruption of the natural aquatic ecosystems, uh, which co- increases the w- cost of water treatment. Uh, the blooms take on the color of the algae within them. Uh, they like to blame dinoflagellates and di- diatoms. Uh, in freshwater echinobacteria, cyan, 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 right? Cyan, cyan, cyan. They can't ever get that word. Uh, but it's mostly caused by nutrient pollution because there's too much nitrogen and phosphorus from those uh, factory FARMS, maybe. So that's a little bit from Life Science. I'll link to it. I also have the Wikipedia article in there just in case you want to dig deeper. Now, this is a good, like a tangent. This is kind of just how, you know, if you want to inside look into my brain, you know, you'll need a, you'll, you'll probably need a doctor's prescription after that. But it's just like, it, so they they go to Bear Island, right? And I just thought that was such a cute name with such a cute leader. And then I wanted to sing and I said like, oh, to live on Bear Island, which is like based on Sugar Mountain, I think is the Neil Young song. Yeah, Sugar Mountain. Um, so I was singing that for a while and thinking, you know, fantasizing about living on Bear Island. And then I said, uh, and then my brain said, you know, you know, one of those short circuit sounds. I think they're, you know, I, I, this is just this, not the time to discuss this, but I think uh, I may have a Tesla coil somewhere in my brain. That might be the issue. And it just randomly fires at different times. Uh, so, I mean, that's a possibility of where this stuff comes from. But I said, what about that Escape to Witch Mountain? Did I ever see that movie? One. Two, did we have the book at my house? 
three day I think I saw that movie and I can't remember it. What's going on with that? Is that when I had the Tesla coil? Because I think that movie came it came out right around when I was born. Uh, the novel was written before I was born. So let's just read about it. Uh, there's a novel by Alexander Key, according to Wikipedia, about two orphans, Tony and Tia, who have paranormal abilities. Tony's got telekinesis, and uh, they can communicate via ultrasonic speech. Tia cannot speak normally. Where's Tia's power? I don't see it. Tia is not unusual in that respect. Uh, well, we'll see what Tia's powers are. Uh, but there's a book, uh, and then the it's, it sounds a little bit like Goonies. Uh, but there's a film in '75. Walt Disney Productions released a film, also called Escape to Witch Mountain. Oh, Donald Pleasance was in it. Well, that's great news. Uh, but I, I, I can't remember honestly. I can picture the movie, uh, the, the VHS thing. And I know nowadays, like, a couple of people are like, have you seen that? Um, but, yeah, so, uh, you know, it sounds like an interesting movie. I mean, we'll go over to, we'll check on Rotten Tomatoes after this. Uh, it was one of Disney's most successful live-action films. It was followed by two sequels, Return to Witch Mountain, 78, and then the television film in 82, Beyond Witch Mountain. Maybe I saw that one. And uh, they had Betty Davis was in one of them, Christopher Lee. Wow. Talk about a cast. Uh, and the leads were played by Ike Eisenman and Kim Richards. Betty Davis and Christopher Lee. Holy cow. Uh, Eisenman and Richards also played siblings in another movie. In 82, there was a failed TV series pilot, Beyond Witch, Witch Mountain, which was a sequel uh, but the Tony and Tia parts were recast. Oh, Tracy Gold uh, played Tia from Growing Pains. Interesting. Uh, it, oh, it also contradicts the 78 sequel. Uh, so that's a problem. In the We don't want to talk about the plot in case you want to see it. There was a 1995 made-for-television movie based on the Alexander Key novel. And then there was a two. I think the, uh, the there was a two thousand nine film, and that was called Race to Witch Mountain. It took place thirty years after the original film, Escape to Rich Wick, Escape to Rich Mountain, Escape to Witch Mountain. It was directed by Andy Fickman and stars The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, uh, Kieran Hines, Anna Sophia Robb, Alexander Ludwig, and Carla uh, Gugino. And Kim Richard and Ike Eisman played smaller roles. It was released in 2009. The kids in that movie are called Sarah and Seth. They have a spaceship. And I don't, I don't know how, how that movie did. But over on uh, Rotten Tomatoes here, as you know, I always like to see how the critics weigh in. According to, oh boy, pop-up ad, sorry about that. Oh, it's, at least it's for Zootopia. That's oh, and then I accidentally clicked on it. I see, it's touch screens. This is a good movie, Zootopia. So I don't mind being. Uh, 
Hey, so Time Out said it's a Disney adventure with a lot going for it. Uh, uh, Vincent Camby from New York Times, uh, Disney production for children who will watch anything that moves. And I don't know if this is based on the current. Roger Ebert uh, in 2004 said it's a sci-fi, sci-fi thriller that's fun and cheerfully implausible. Uh, Sarah Wank from Common Sense Media. They don't make them like this anymore. Kevin Carr from 7M Pictures provides adventure and excitement. Uh, a lot of these, I don't know if these are actual real movie reviewers. No offense to the rest of And yeah, I don't want to spoil it here, but it, on the tomato meter, 76. I mean, that's, you know, I had, I had trouble scoring 76s on a lot of. I don't know if anybody remembers. At some point in high school, they changed failing from 70 to 60. That worked out pretty good for me. Uh, or maybe it was in middle school, 70 was like, so 69 in middle school was definitely failing. Uh, but 70 was passing. But then when I got to high school, or at some point in high school, it became 60 was passing and 59 was failing. So that was big, you know, big for me. 10 more points, you know, wiggle room. I also, I think I talked about this on the podcast, my, I, and I, this is my ego talking, but I'm pretty sure my math scores were so low that they reinstituted a policy where you couldn't, on your report card, get lower than a 50. Because I'm not kidding. I would get on these in high school math, like single-digit results, and then you know maybe some in the 10s and the 20s but that would be my grade for math out of 100 20 you know 25 that was my average uh just you know i was working i wasn't working with but anyway uh but i don't know what this has to do with which mountain so but yeah that's a little bit about which mountain i also want to talk about the, the bridge in florence the ponte vecchio because uh, it reminds me of the bridge in Volantis, or did, and I said, is that, like, I haven't been lucky enough to travel too much. I've been lucky enough to travel more than some, and I love the world. But, I, you know, I had a brother who lived in Florence for a little while, so I got to visit him there, and it was a lovely, lovely city. And, he, li- you know, it's nice visiting when someone lives somewhere, because then you feel like, uh, and I think we stayed for a couple weeks so it was nice, you know, because, but he loved, we loved going over the Ponte Vecchio. In, in the Ponte Vecchio, Old Bridge uh, is a medieval stone closed spandrel segmented arch bridge over the Arno in Florence. This is on Wikipedia. Uh, initially, it was occupied by uh, butchers. Now it's more jewelers and souvenir stuff. Looking for an age on this thing. History and construction. It spans Arno as the narrowest point. Uh, it was believed that it was first built in Roman times uh, when Via Cassia crossed the river at this point. The piers were of stone, the superstructure of wood. It first appears in a document of 996. Uh, it was destroyed in 1117, reconstructed again in 1333. Uh, saved two of its central piers, rebuilt again in 1345. Uh, bridge is like three segmental arches. The main arch has a span of 30 meters, 98 feet. 
It's always hosted shops and merchants who displayed their goods on tables. After they had this bar galo, Lord Mayor, Magistrate, uh, something, I don't know, I don't understand that. Uh, It said that the original concept of bankruptcy originated here. It wasn't bombed during World War II. I remember hearing that when I was there. Uh, and it just is, it's cool. It's great to take pictures of it. It looks real cool. And it's a little piece of living history, I guess. And you say, oh, it's like the bridge in Volantis a little bit. Uh, I mean, I know Weiss and Benioff met and uh, studied together in uh, Ireland. But I wonder if they traveled to Italy together, you know, because this uh, last few seasons has some, like, Italian, Mediterranean. Oh, it's always said Mediterranean. But you have the canals of uh, of Bravos. I, I don't know. Just 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 curious. Uh, so uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, decisions from Game of Thrones, I, I actually had to like. Usually, I try not to read anything that's written about Game of Thrones this season. But you know, there's a cold open this episode where the episode started before the uh, opening scenes. And so I was like, uh, I wondered if I typed in stuff in Google that wasn't effective, like uh, Game of Thrones talks about why they do cold opens, uh, Weiss and Benioff and cold opens, stuff like that didn't work. But finally, this article came up, it's just recent from June 6th by Gina Carbone, out of all things, moviephone.com. And it says it talks about uh, most episodes, but not every episode uh, has a clip of the previous episodes and then the map intro. But tonight's episode uh, did not. Instead, it went straight with uh, the scene with the hound, as we know. And Brian Cogman, who wrote the episode, uh, confirmed that it was the sequence because that with the hound and McShane quoting him. It was my favorite week uh, on Game of Thrones because it's a beautiful three-act play, little three-act play, very much on purpose. It doesn't totally feel like Game of Thrones until the end, uh, paraphrasing. Uh, Ian McShane is a New Age ex-warrior with a painful history. He's found his own flock, and he sees Sandor as a candidate, like a bit like himself. Uh, the Hound starts to open up to him. Like he's the first and only friend he's had, and it's an interesting. Brian says it's an interesting relationship to explore, and the seasons have a light touch and gentleness and humanity and humor you don't normally find on the show. You know, but then the Brotherhood takes care of that, and you know the cycle restarts. But he, Cagman said, "Well, she said use a cold open because we figured it'd be more." It would make his reveal more impactful if they didn't see his McCann's name in the opening credits. And also, if um, Ian, the, the, this article from Movie Stone says it would have been great if Ian McShane didn't spoil his role in advance. Uh, but I never read that, so it wasn't spoiled for me. So, that, I mean, that is, like, it's interesting. It, it makes me curious of the other cold opens they've done, though. That's what I was trying to get out of Google, but, you know. It didn't, you know, when you, I guess they say she's booling and I say, boo, I say boo to booling because I don't, you know, it's too, too much thinking. 
And then it looks like we're short on time, but I'll link to Deadwood. I really couldn't find anything clear on why Deadwood was canceled, like definitive, just a lot of uh, like whatever circumstantial, like just people talking about it. And to be honest, like, uh, I, I don't, I can't fully speak in Deadwood because I never, as a sober person, I haven't watched it. I think I started watching it and it's on my to-do list because uh, when I went back, when it was on the air, I was watching it. I was just no, not uh, fully present. So um, maybe one day we'll talk more about Deadwood because I think it's a very important show. Very beloved show, very powerful, the acting and the performances and the quality of the cast. So there's that. And then T.J. Miller, there's actually, uh, this article just came out in the New Yorker, so I don't know if I should, t- I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. There's also this, uh, let, let's just touch a little bit on T.J. Miller, because I said, Jesus, uh, it just reminded me Cersei's performance of uh, Ehrlich Bachman. So there's this uh, NPR interview with him, and he's skipping to the middle. Like the, He's from Denver, 34 years old, and he went to Denver East High School. And his teacher, Melody Duggan, said that he was a typical class clown, but a little more intuitive and understands the frailty of uh, human condition. Uh, she says Miller was absolutely fearless and didn't mind making a fool of himself. Uh, and Miller credits her you know, with setting him forth on his path, she made him do musicals like Oedipus Rex. Uh, so he would learn everything, you know, singing and, uh, Miller's mother's a clinical psychologist. She also tried to help him take it seriously. So he studied circus arts. He went to the, uh, British American drama Academy in London to study being a Shakespearean clown toured with Chicago's second city and they note kind of his uh, observational humor is rarely cutting. You know, he's not a mean guy. You know, he's funny, but not mean. That's my kind of humor, too. Uh, between This is interesting. Uh, between movies, TV, stand-up, and commercials, Miller's on a roll, but he's hyper-focused on his quote-unquote mission statement. To become the best comedian, I must be well-rounded. According to Melody Duggan, his business acumen is something else. And he also talks about his role in Deadpool. And uh, he says, quote, I'm a student of Nietzsche, and I'm interested in morality and mortality. And that Deadpool uses all kinds of themes like that. Uh, given Miller's uh, cerebral approach to acting, it's not surprising he pursued a career in the psychology that was his college major, and he thought he might follow his mother's footsteps, but then he did the math. He goes, quote, if you're a psychologist, you can instrumentally change people's lives for the better, but you can only do that for about 300 people to maybe 1,000 if you're really prolific. If you're a comedian, you can change people's lives for the better in much smaller increments, not for their life, but for 15 minutes or a half hour. He says, if I can make someone laugh, I can lift them, lift them out of their fundamentally tragic existence. And for this comic, that's anything but meaningless. I really like that. Uh, that that's a great, no wonder I like, uh, like him so much. So that's a little just a touch on T.J. Miller to close out. Uh, all right, and let's keep the show moving. All right, Podman, are you ready for my adventure? Uh, I mean, I think so. I have your adventure. I mean, I have... a. Have you prepared an adventure for me? 
what prepared your journey on the road to self-discovery. Self-discovery is ready, Sir Tommen. Oh, very good, Podman. Are you still worried for me? I well, kind of. I mean, since I've relocated you to my place out of out of uh, you know, fictionally taking you out of you know, I feel a little more comfortable. Oh, now that I'm living with you, you're a castle, uh, as you call it. Uh, I mean, it is. Uh, it does not have. Uh, it has the. I mean, it has the screen thing, the, the magic mirror. So I like that, and in the mini magic mirror, which I can go. And then you know, now that you sleep on the floor, with Sir Pounce and I get to bed. Uh, it is a very nice bed you have. Oh, thanks, Simon. And so there's many things, and it's you. You know, the castle gets so cold. You, you know, even the blankets can't keep the chill out. And then when it's hot, it's so hot. But here, where you live, it is nice. And then there are all the cats that live by for support. But it, oh, I miss, I miss home. Well, I know, Tom, and I just, I worry. You know, I worry. Oh, Podman, I miss. Well, I don't actually. I don't know if I miss anyone. I mean. A part of me misses some things, but I think the part of me, like, do you remember we were talking about toothaches? I miss Westeros like I miss a toothache, Batman. I know, a distinct missing, I know it's missing. And I say, I wonder what that felt like, And but then I imagine, I say, oh, that I don't like toothaches. Uh, just so, okay, so let's just, t- let's not talk about this time, and I know, because just in case, uh, I mean, I don't know if the idea of me relocating you out of Westeros is going to sit too well with, you know, the three heroes of mine. Oh, 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 you have other heroes other than me. Well, you and Sir Pounce. No, no, I mean heroes in a different way. Not heroes of bravery and friendship, but different kind of heroes. Remember I was telling you about, oh, the R.R. Martin in Weissen, Weissen Benioff, the uh, people, the people who won't take your calls, they say, "I do. Why did you call him again?" And you said, uh, "Why did you use that thing?" You said, "Hey, DB, it's me here." Well, I just thought it'd be. I thought he'd think it was funny. Oh, Podman, you should not try to be funny. You just be yourself. That's all you. Vice versa, bounce. The podman's trying to be, he, he thinks he needs to work to be funny. Smash me in my hands. Yes, suppose. Podman, you are not funny. You are funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, unfortunately, I do know what you mean. So don't try so hard. You don't need to, you don't need to do anything to make people laugh. See, I'm laughing. Oh, it is like missing a toothache. Podman, you are my, like missing. Not like a toothache. You are the almost the opposite. You are the greatest fool. I, I be honest. I, now that I'm away, I feel like you are the greatest fool a boy could have asked for. So thank you, Podman. Uh, wow, thanks, Tommy. Because I guess I do feel like you missed out on your own fool. Oh, see what I mean, Savants? Did you hear that? This man was my friend. Yes, yes. I'm not missing a fool. Oh, no, Podman. I've had him for a very long time, ever since the day you crashed that uh, time machine into my room, looking for Mother's room. Uh, that was the day I knew I found my fool. Anyway, let's let's get it going, Podman. Try not to be too funny, though. Okay. All right. 
I'm ready when you are, Tom. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we interrupt your regularly scheduled program for another episode. Uh, welcome to another day of Cape Ounce Radio, the radio best friendship, where boys and cats can adventure in friendship and bravery. Cape Ounce Radio. Radio for boys and cats and friends everywhere. Cape Ounce Radio. Okay, pardon me. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of... Uh, Sir Tommen and Pounce in the road to self-discovery. When we last left off our heroes, they had been trapped in a deep, d- d- deep uh, cave-in. Oh, the, pardon me, that was like five episodes. He was, as the uh, as this, um, mud rushed into the temple, Tommen and Sir Pounce had only just barely escaped. They were covered in mud, and they were climbing, and they were still trying to get past... The last walls of confusion. Oh, Podman, what are you doing? Oh, I forgot that we, we're going to use the adventure out of this. Okay, just pretend you're a wizard then, okay? Okay, and now let's join our heroes on the road to Zelv Discovery. Oh, Sir Pounce, I'm covered in mud. Uh, are you covered in mud too? As a man. Yes, we need some baths. Where is Zero? I don't, I don't think I want to see a wizard. I want to see Z- Zero. Oh, Zero, come here. Uh, here he comes running. Oh, he- hello, Sir Pounce. Oh, hello, Tom. And how can I serve you? I uh, Well, we need a bath. But first, I'd like to uh, read from the book of uh, Seven-Pointed Star. Do you have a copy of it handy? Uh, for I need to know what, what tactic I should use for the next problem I'll face. Yes, Sir Tom. And it says, disdain things you cannot have. Ignoring them is the best revenge. Uh, by acknowledging a petty problem and you give it existence and credibility, the more attention you pay on an enemy, the stronger you make him. And a small mistake is often made worse and more visible when you when you try to fix it. It is sometimes best to leave things alone. If there is something you want but cannot have, show contempt for it. The less interest you feel... The more superior you seem. Okay, so disdain things I cannot have. Ignoring them is the best revenge. Her mother must have really loved me then, huh, Sir Pounce? Well, ma'am. Okay, well, I think I, I get, get it. Okay, Zero, uh, where, where could Sir Pounce and I have a, have a bath? Well, we cannot have, have you having a bath. You must uh, keep your journey to the roads of self-discovery. You have to pass the columns of confusion. Uh, no, we're going to take a bath. I have no desire uh, for any more confusion. I have a desire to take a bath, a warm bath, a preferably a hot bath. And Sir Pounce would like to... Uh, Sir Pounce, do you want to get in a bath? Ow. Uh, no, Sir Pounce just wants some place where Sir Pounce can lick and bathe Sir Pounce while I take a bath, and Sir Pounce will hack up a lot of mud. Uh... Okay, so Zero, go get me a bath, and uh, and also I like it to smell good, and not like this place, it smells so dirty. Uh, we have no bathing facilities. This is a, temp- a temple of, could we, the only place to go is past the columns of confusion. Okay, well, I uh, is that where the bath is? Because you just said there is no bath, so which one is it? Well, the treasure of Zelf Discovery is beyond the columns of confusion. And then uh, through the next stage, 
Uh, well, I, I, do, I don't have any desire to deal with any of that things. So how do I get out of here? I, I will just leave. I, I, I would much rather leave. Uh, uh, could you show me how to get out of this temple the quickest way? So Pounce and I will pay some uh, pay someone to, to create a bath for, for, for both of us. Uh, go right this way, Sir Tom, and pass these columns to the right. Okay, and that's where I'll find the exit. Uh, can you send for the bad man to uh, prepare prepare a way for me? Well, you know what, Zero? How, how much? I'll, I'll pay you. You come along with me. Okay, Sir Tom, and, and don't talk like that. Just be yourself, Zero. How many times do I have to tell you? Oh, dear. Uh, suddenly the room has changed. I, did we pass? Oh, we, we, you tricked me uh, to pass the columns. Uh, mother? Is that mother down there? Mother, is that you? Oh, she's ignoring me. Well, I'll just and there's Marjorie with the mother. What are they doing? Oh no, that's the blue-faced man. But he—that's the blue-faced man, not Segrega. Oh, but they have Segrega's dog. Oh dear. Uh, well, they're petting the dog. Um. But he would want his dog back. He doesn't want to. He's not the blue-faced man. Zero, what do you think of all this? I don't know, Sir Tom, and it's confusing. Uh, Sir Bounce, what do you think? Man, so man. Yes, it's weird, weird as heck, man. Marjorie, hello, Marjorie. Um, okay, we'll walk towards them. They don't seem to be hearing me. Mother, hello, mother. Uh, Marjorie, what are you doing with uh, Sir Gregor's dog? Uh... Oh, he's just the Gregor. I forget, because this blue face. Uh, hello, blue face man. I'm no longer. Well, I do feel strange about you. Uh, what are you all laughing about? Hello, hello, mother. I'm right here. Marjorie. Uh, my dear. It's good to see you. I've missed you. Uh, oh, what are you, what are you all laughing about? It's a drawing of me, and you're laughing at it. And you have Sir Gregor's dog, and it says, the Gregor, it says on here, this is not your dog. Hello, they're ignoring me. You know, I don't appreciate being ignored, Mother. Marjorie, you, 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 you're my wife. Why are you ignoring me? A blue-faced man, you could keep ignoring me. Oh, hello. Oh, you're showing me attention, though, Gregor's dog. Okay, thank you for that lick. So, Bounce, what do you think's happening? I ain't mom. I don't know. I'm feeling like I miss Mother and Marjorie, though, now. Uh, Mother, Marjorie, could I go back to Westeros with you? Oh, now you're looking at me and smiling. Oh, both of you. And the blue-faced man. Okay, wait a second. I don't understand. You're not speaking. But you're acknowledging me and the Gregor's dog. Oh, so me and Gregor's dog have to come with you, too. Okay. And you're pointing at Sir Pounce and Zero, the pod man. Zero, that's Mother's laughing, even though it's weird. She's still laughing that you're a Zero, Zero. Oh, but you, you're saying I can't take Sir Pounce in. I have to take the Gregor's dog with me to West. But it's, no, it's Gregor's dog. He, he lives here with Mr. Ray. Not in this, you know, kind of like I moved in with the pod man. We we have a clubhouse, you know, Mother. 
I mean, it's just a tent, but Greg, last last week, Gregor and I, and the pod, the pod, I made the pod man sleep outside the, the tent. It's called a tent. And Ray had his own tent. And they seemed to like me. I don't know, though, Mother. You're right. I should go with you and Marjorie. Oh, Marjorie, you look so lovely. Thank you for smiling at me with your doe-like eyes. Oh, yes, I've learned flattery about while I've been gone from you. I've learned some things. I could teach you to. Mother, I've learned. uh, You might be impressed. Maybe I should go back. I think you'll be impressed with how I've uh, I've self-discovered, Mother. I'm not the boy who you think I am. I am much more competent. And so, I don't know, are you not allowed to speak? So, yes, yes, okay, I could come with you only if I take the Gregor's dog. Well, no, that would be wrong, because, and I cannot leave Sapounce. Okay, I could take Sapounce and the dog, okay. Okay, you're going now out this magical door. And you, ooh, Marjorie, what is that dance you are doing? Is that a, uh, say, come this way dance? Okay. Blue-faced blue man is walking arm in arm with mother. I don't like that, though. Oh, good. Stop doing it. Perfect. Okay, you're through the door. Oh, is that a table of chickens and sweets? Hmm. Yes, I don't know. I cannot. Should I leave? So, Pounce, what do you think? Should I take the Gregor's dog? No, this is wrong. No, I won't go. Uh, I won't do it. I, I will. Oh, Marjorie. What are you? You, you, you're going to feed chickens to the blue-faced man instead of me. Mother, you're sitting on his lap. That is strange. Oh, you, you, you're also feeding him. Are those spice cakes? In, in the, oh, those look good. Well, you know what? I'll just ignore you because I don't care. You know what? Feed all the chickens you want. Uh, feed the blue-faced man, but I won't take this dog. You know, I don't need you three, to be honest. Watch this, but zero. I'm learning. I'm learning from the seven-pointed star. As a matter of fact, I can't even see you three. Hopefully this door... You know what? Uh, Sipounce, go, go find uh, the Gregor. And bring, go bring him here, because we'll probably need... I think we need to keep him with us for the rest of the adventure, because uh, he's so big. But yeah, is there... Podman, is there any rooms with chickens? I smell some chicken, but I, I don't care. Are they looking at me, Podman? Oh, zero. I sorry, zero. Are they looking at me? Look at this dog. It's so lovely. You know, I don't even care, honestly. You know, because we have fun at our clubhouse, right, Zero. Yeah, oh, yes, Sir Tom, in the road to self-discover, I could be full fun if you if you find it. Uh, correct. Oh, there's Gregor. Yeah, Gregor, I found your dog. Ah, you find dog. I thank you. I, uh, who is that in that room? Well, that, oh, oh that's this nobody. It's a blue-faced man. Remember I was telling you about the blue-faced man? Ah, yes, blue-faced man. Yes, so he's in there with some people, but they, they, it's a, it's an illusion. No, not illusion. I I just tell they real. Oh no no no, it's illusion. No, it's real. Okay, well even if it's real, it doesn't matter. Zero. Do you think it's real? I don't. I yes, it's real, but it. Uh, 
Well, yes, it doesn't matter anyway, because I, I wanted you to have your dog back. They tried to take your dog away, and I said, no, no, this is the Gregor's dog. Ah, yes, Gregor's dog, this Gregor's dog, my friend, my best friend, but you friend too, Pouncer and Zara. Okay. Well, yes, we have adventures to do. So anyway, uh, let's get on to it. Uh, let's go. Uh, you know, I needed a bath, but I, I, I feel fine. A little crusty. Uh, but ready to go. Okay, okay, that's good for this week. Thank you. Yeah, are they gone now, Podman? Oh, honestly, I forgot to. Oh, yeah, they are gone. I did. I totally forgotten. Yeah, so did I for a se- for maybe a second. Though I still smell Marjorie's perfume, uh, and 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 uh, you have a sense of a blue-faced man with eating my chickens. But that's fine. Will he, Are we going to eat anything, Podman? I have some nuts here for your trail mix. Oh, yes, you have, you, you are nuts, Batman. Okay, another venture well had. Thank you, Zero. Uh, thank you, Greg. Uh, thank you, Dog. And thank you, Sapounce. Uh, uh, close it out. Uh, thank you for joining us on the road to self-discovery. Come back next week for more chilling adventures with Tom and Sapounce on K-Pounce Radio. Okay, Batman, did you figure out what apotheosis is? Mm. That's for next week. Okay, okay, so I'll see you later then. Bye-bye. Okay. What do you mean? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, so I'll see you later, Tom, and bye-bye. Okay, good night. Crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog God. It's me, your humble servant, uh, to die, to pray, praying in with servitude, gods, and uh, just checking in. Yeah, I don't know what you're thinking of our adventure so far, but I, I mean, if it's if it's anything to you, I say we just get straight to it so it doesn't get confusing. Uh, so when we last left off, gods, uh, I, Martha Plimpton, and you, the rest of the, goon, the go- gods of the goondocks, as we'll say... Uh, we had to cross the, uh, the, over that river thing and uh, we, we, we crossed over a point of no return, another point of no return, just like last week adds, yet another point of no return. Well, you know, where immediately I, as Mar- Martha Plimpton, as soon as my foot steps down, my mind fills with, oh boy, you know, even the, the echoes of the Fratelli's voices and the voices inside my head. Say, oh no, that's when the doubt seizes me. Say, there's no turning back now. Oh, that definitely means we're we're doomed for sure then. Uh, but then I look up above me and I see the innocent eyes of Mikey, the eyes of, in, you know, curious, curious, look at the world with curious innocence and openness. I see the bravery of Brant, 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 you know, the older brother. Brad, Brad, whatever. Uh, Josh Brolin. I see the youthful wonder of uh, Andy. And, and the guys, you could just feel, you know, just whichever whichever character you're feeling, just assume that 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 I mean that you, that you're that character. Uh, though Miller, if you're Andy, let me. Know, and I guess Jester might. Well, who cares? You know, guys, you do it. Do it as you do it. You know, I'm Martha Plimpton. Uh, the, the, actually, the analytical curiosity of data, the willingness to experiment and try, 
oh mouth uh the what do you what do they call that brash and brave living by your uh budding libido la loca i guess you are the jester huh mouse says his name mouse i forget Corey will call you and then uh who, who's up oh Ch- chunk who i just rescued who also you know lives inside me someplace i know I guess maybe we fused on that log, uh, Chunk and Martha Plimpton. No, the gods, that's too weird to fuse. Okay, we're just all together. And we got to keep going because they're, they're still in pursuit. The need for certainty, uh, it's, it's footsteps echo behind us, gods, pursuing me, making me look back and say, well, just like a Actually, as a matter of fact, I'm not afraid of certainty, so it must be the opera singer. Uh, I'm just going to stop. You know, he seems pretty nice compared to the other two. Uh, but yes, we've, we, go, we go on, gods, and we say, what is this room we've entered? It's a puzzle. Uh, with, uh, in, in, the, in the movie, it's an organ-based puzzle, gods, but I guess this one is an organ-based puzzle. The organs within me, the bile, uh, the, you know, the, 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 uh, whatever the other stuff. And mostly, you know, I, I think I'm like 80% bile, gods, and some, whatever, what organ provides bitterness? Like, is there a sit- organ that's like a, like a vinegar and citrus based organ? Oh, you don't know. You're, you're, you know, you have this right, your gods. Yeah, maybe we should externalize it, right? It's just too, so we have a puzzle to solve, to move on to the next stage. And it's going to take risk, and it's going to take inventiveness, and it's going to push us all past the brink, gods. Uh, because one of you now has to act as Martha Plimpton. For, you know, formerly Mikey was in charge, and now I'm in charge. Middle child or Child of the Fratellis, depending on which fan fiction you're reading. Yeah, we have to work together to solve this puzzle, guys. It's kind of on this map. Oh, it's it's on the map. It's music. We have to play notes to get through to open the next door. But we can hear the Fratellis coming. They're close. And then, you know, the first uh, note Andy tries after all her piano lessons grown. And it works. And then we're one step closer to the rich stuff. And then we hear the Fratellis again. And then Andy makes a misstep and the earth falls away. And we're, you know, we're going to say, I don't know, like, that's how I feel when I wake up most of the time. Like that Andy, that button that gets pushed and a, a piece of the floor drops away. And they say, whoa, and then Data uses those teeth with the uh, slinky attached to save me. Uh, but I, I guess, guys, I live in the tension in between the notes that Andy plays. If I had a Goonies shirt, that's what I would say, and it wouldn't make any sense. I live in the tension within, I guess, yeah, I say, maybe I should proofread it, run it by a copywriter. You're right, guys. No wonder people pray to you. I live within the tension between the notes that Andy plays, gods. I do. For As I wait for her next finger to drop, as she, I tune out from her 
and her arguing and people saying do it and, and her worrying about making the right choice. I work, my ego expands, guys, and says, we're doomed. It doesn't matter. We're doomed. And I see, and I guess this is when I have to look at the rest of the, the, the goon, the goonies guys and say, Oh, I'm not alone. I've got Andy. She's trying her best to say, Oh, well, another piece of floor dropped away. Oh boy. And Mikey's got his inhaler. Oh, look at Mikey's face. You know, one day he'll be Samwise, but for today he's just a boy looking for the rich stuff. One-eyed Willie, you know, leading us, and, you know, he thinks he is. And Bran, you know, not the provider. You know, not not a man yet, but so close. He's on the cusp of manhood. And Data... You know, you know, Jesus, it can be, can't be easy for data. You know, this is this still the eighties, God. So you know how be, you know, you think it was bad now. So poor data. And not only that, you know, he's, he's, he's got that curious mind. Maybe now he runs, you know, owns a few companies. Oh, he's fictional, God. So it's just, uh, but not right now. Get okay, data's not. In Chunk, we love Chunk, and, and you know, we, we you know, I know how, yeah, I know about acting out, guys, that was my middle name. And Mouth acts out in his own way, and I look at all of you, and I say, well, geez, can I feel anything besides the tin? Oh, nope, piece of floor just dropped away, guys. But then... We feel it coming together. Our belief in Andy unites us. And, and it's a belief born out of desperation, gods, because you're right, we can't go back. We must go forward. Even though, you know, the floor is literally going away, it feels like it is, but beneath our feet, uh, we have one another. We have a willingness to try. And don't get this one wrong. You're right, Mouth. Tell her, don't get it wrong, though, Andy. She has to guess. Is it a chord if she would have paid more attention? But we're together in our desperation, all of us here, within this cave, our need to get on to the next stage, to escape that which constantly per- per- pursues us, the relentless fratellis, uh, coming from our past uh, at every turn or whatever you know, we all might say. Yeah, we're together. You're right, guys. What? Oh, Hound Dog God is singing. Maybe which guy? Who? Hound Dog? Oh, I guess. Are you Brant? Brant? I don't know. But you're right, guys. It's so good to be together. It's so good to be reminded that I'm not alone. As much as I think I am, you know, I'm not. And you know, I'm, I'm. I feel like the outsider in this group. And in some senses, some sense, I once was, but now. No longer. I, Martha Plimpton, I am, you know, I'm the straw that stirs this group. Let's just be honest. Uh, I took over for Mikey. I took over his role in the fan. But you're right, guys. We're all one. We're all goonies down here. Well, now we're not down there. We're somewhere else. Uh, but over here, guys, it's our time. You know, you're right. I, I got to remember that and not forget it. it. It is our time, guys. And I should, you know, I, I got to get, you know, I got to get on the ball. I got to stick with the program. And you just keep moving one foot in front of another. Oh, the doors. Great job, Andy. You saved us. 
as we scramble through on the next stage of our adventure. Though the unknown is ahead of us, the unknown within the, we are unknown within this moment. Not even sure we're really searching for anything, you know. We just want to go home at this point. Uh, we just want to escape us through these doors. Uh, but through these doors is a passage, a passage to another world, a passage to a world of water slides. Uh, water slides that go, you know, that just say, we, we, we're free of water rushing. We're rushing ahead to the next stage of our adventure, away from the Fratellis at a high speed, we think. Uh, we fought, we're plunging, guys. We're plunging into to a whole new world, a whole unknown world. And this is this is our time. I can't forget that, that I am with you guys. I always forget that. I think it's all on me. I got to, you know, I got to fix myself. I got to control things. I got to figure it all out. I got to say, well, if that wasn't something, you're right, God. So, you know, I'm perfect as I am as Martha Plimpton, you know, re, re, you know rewritten so I'd have a more prominent role. You're right. I, I, I just got to do the best I can. Uh, I can't do everything. Sometimes I got to trust Andy. Sometimes I got to trust Data. I don't know if I'll have a trust mouth. Uh, Mikey, Brent, her brand, uh, Chunk, uh, Data, and Data. I, I am learning to trust guys. As we plunge, I've taken the plunge, I guess. There's no place to jump, uh, but, but, but uh, you got to jump anyway or something like that. And maybe I adventure in the tension between the notes instead of... Uh, whatever, existing, just tolerating existence. You're right, guys, you teach me so much. Oh, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller, Smith, Parky, Jester, Hound Dog, God, holy moly. Every time I think we're lost on a dull metaphorical journey, you surprise the heck out of me. And you say, Scooter, there's a reason you've watched Goonies 80 to 90 to 100 times. In you know, in fifth or sixth grade, and then you know all the other times after that. There's a reason you say, "Well, my life will never be as good as uh, Mikey's and Brant's." You know, there's a reason you search everywhere for maps and the uh, blooms for tellies, and even tried to create my own for you know with the baby kids, all the people whose cars I hit with snowballs so they would come after me. Uh, all the other, you know, I said, well, I was looking for my Fratellis, and I guess, uh, unfortunately, the master just said, well, I got about, I got about 40 Fratellis within me trying to, but you're right, guys, I'm not alone, don't you, you you're there not to let me forget it. You say, you say to me, Crone, Sweet Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog, God, Hound Dog, God, I apologize. Uh, you say to me, you're not alone. It only feels like you're alone. You know, it only feels like you're doing all the work alone. But we're here, right along here with you, Scoots. Uh, you know, six fiction. How many are there? Crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound, Dog, God. Is that six, six fictional gods. 
some more fictional than others, and bar you know five or five, and then Barky, who's everywhere. Hey, Barky, would you, it's hard to talk to you when we're, you know, when it's fiction. I miss you the most, Barky. No offense to the other gods. Uh, Barky, what'd you think of that water slide? Was that the first time in the history of the world a tree's been on a water slide or tree per? You know, what do you call yourself? Humanoid tree, Tr- treemanoid. I'd say treemanoid. Uh, I bet you Groot, we, maybe you get Guardians of the Galaxy on the horn. We can have Groot go down a water slide. What do you think about that, Barky? Oh, with the, uh, with the guy, raccoon guy in its lap, that's a great idea. That's a really good idea, Barks. Uh, anyway, guys, thanks for uh, steering me straight here, you know, and then twisty water slide and being there for me. All right, uh, good night.